Madden Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary. The year is 3013. The galaxy is scintillating in the mellow light. Two galactic pilgrims seek out vistas in the samurai future to bring forth the unity of the cosmic shaman. Opening the door of the pantheon of mystics, the evil sorcerer wizard powers the engine of science, seeking to forever alter the sacred balance, traveling on effervescent balls of summer fire. This week, Star Wars. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Oh, Matt, now we have to work out a year. 35,642 BC. <laughs> that's that's going to be my guess on that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can spit guess a number, right? There's, it's not like there's anything to say I'm wrong. Two billion BC. Sure. Yours, yours is not specific enough. Okay. <laughs> not a, exactly two billion BC. Oh, okay. Okay. Got you. It's, a, <laughs> it's the anniversary. It's the two billionth anniversary of Star Wars. We're just now getting to this on the 150th episode of Matt and Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary. This being Matt. Hey, Luke. And I already said the name of the show, so I don't have to do that again. And... You see, we haven't done this one because it's really fantasy more than sci-fi. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, honestly, this this movie is, I guess, it's nothing for me. I don't that that sounds too bleak. I mean, it's just in, it's in everyone's DNA. It doesn't even matter what genre it is, you know. Uh, growing up, you know, for my age, they showed it on TV once a year, and it was like a holiday. It was like, who knows? Maybe it was May the Fourth. I don't remember, but I do remember <laughs> like they, it was like, oh, it's on. It's going to be on the ABC or whatever tonight, and. All the boys at the elementary school would like plan their evenings around it. Um, <laughs> anyway, we're doing this kind of late, in our, not late in our show, but down in our show. So we, we, we got to have a Star Wars expert here. We definitely have a Star Wars expert. I came to him from reading his Star Trek books, just to, I guess, tell you my own geek. Uh, Luke apparently uh, had some run in with the Mass Effect book, but he's written many books, including... That's 50 issues of the Knights of the Old Republic comic book, I believe. It's uh, John Jackson Miller. Hello. Hey, glad to be here. And uh, it looks like we have we have John, Matt, uh, we have a John, a Matthew, and a Luke. So we just need a Mark, and we'll complete the uh, the whole uh, uh, the Gospels right there. <laughs> we do have a regular guest who's a Mark, so we're pretty close. <laughs> there and we I, go. There we go. I did consider inviting him just because of that, but I thought four <laughs> people might be a bit too much. So that's, that's all good. <laughs> well um, um so fun story about that my grandmother believes that i'm named luke from the bible but my mom is like no you're not from the bible you're literally named after star wars yeah yeah <laughs> uh, the first time somebody told me they had named their child after one of my characters from knights of the old republic i'm like really uh, <laughs> it's, it's that's gonna be the story you're gonna go with uh, I, I, I'm honored by it, but uh, you know that's uh, it, it's it's a uh, it's it, this kid is going to be having to spell his name strange for a long time. So uh, uh, it was, anyway, it was flattering. In my grade at school, there was like five Luke's, so I think a lot of a lot of people in my parents' generation did the same thing. There you go. Yeah, I definitely felt weird writing my film notes last night. 
I'm like, wait a minute, am I referring to the character or am I making a note to Luke? I, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> um, it's, it's definitely hard to remember. Well, for, for some of us, it's hard to remember where we first saw Star Wars. I guess if you were there in 77, you'd probably remember. But, you know, for me, I think I saw them backwards. I think Return of the Jedi is the first movie I ever saw in a movie theater. And then I think I saw Empire after that. And then finally, when they started showing the original on television every year is when I actually saw it. So, but you know, I was like three, four, five years old. So the, you know, the, the fact that the plot was going in the wrong order didn't bug me too much because, because they had lightsabers. <laughs> um, Luke, any memories? So obviously I grew up with a family who are big into Star Wars, but my first memory of seeing them was seeing the special editions when they came out in theaters. I was very likely I'd seen it on tape before that, but that's the first time I remember watching them. Oh, and then, a... like, everyone was obsessed at my school then. I do have a good special edition story. We had a, a class trip to, like, Gatlinburg, Tennessee or something, and I just got my driver's license and somehow managed to convince three girls to go see the special edition with me. So I must have <laughs> looked like a... I, I, I never dated any of them. But hey, if for anyone watching, it looked pretty good, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I didn't even know there was a theater in Gatlinburg. That's, uh, that's... Actually, yeah. okay, if you know the area, I think we technically oh, yeah. had to drive out to Pigeon Forge or something. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> I, 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 uh, I went to UT Knoxville, so I, I, we saw a good deal of Gatlinburg. <laughs> okay, it's, it's, you called me on my broad brush. It's like how we had a typhoon a, a year ago. And first, it, I was like, oh, Peach just sagebrush came by the car and a month no, later, actually, like an entire tree came by the car uh, floating by the car I, I, I was i was honestly wondering because i i i'm scheduled to do a show in uh, in knoxville later this year and we're talking about going up to gatlinburg and it's like well there's gonna be like movie theater there right and it's like no i don't remember what okay. <laughs> so now we know where it'll go we're gonna go to pigeon forge yep, so, well, uh, i'm dating that 97 so who knows what it's like there now <laughs> oh that's true that's true well i i just have a feeling there are probably more ferris wheels and more <laughs> roller coasters, I, I imagine. That's, I should uh, hope so. Oh, that's all. That's all it is. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's one big amusement park. Um, I think they call it Redneck Disneyland. But yeah, sorry. <laughs> so, uh, I don't encounter. want to go there. I, 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 although for years, when you were driving to uh, to Pigeon Forge. Uh, there were signs on the highway saying that you could see Buford T. Pusser's death car. He was the uh, he was the uh, the police officer from Walking Tall, uh, and uh, and so the, the I guess it was the Ripley's Museum or one of the autos museums there had uh, had uh, had his uh, his uh, his vehicle that had been all shot up there. It was horrible. Anyway, I'm sorry. None of this has anything to do with Star Wars, but it does have to do with Tennessee, and that's where I saw Star Wars to begin with because. Uh, I grew up in Memphis at the other end of the state, and uh, I did see it in 77. Uh, I did not see it as soon as everybody else did, because uh, that was back in the day that they didn't have, uh, you know, multiplexes. Uh, you know, movies would not actually open everywhere in the same weekend. The movie did not open in Memphis that weekend at all, in fact. Uh, and then when it did open, it was in exclusive engagements in a couple of theaters. Uh, it ended up going to where I saw it, a, a theater called the Whitehaven Twin, a uh, special thing about that is uh, it's about two blocks from Graceland uh, where Elvis Presley lived. And Elvis used to have them uh, screen movies for him after midnight for him and his friends. 
And so uh, it's widely believed that Elvis did see Star Wars in that theater, uh, just not the day that I saw it. It, it would have been one of the last <laughs> things he saw there, probably. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I saw it. Uh, I saw it then. It was very difficult to get into. Um, my novel Kenobi uh, is actually dedicated to my sister. Uh, it says for making sure her kid brother got in to see the movie, and this is because every time we went, we would have to go see whatever was showing in the other room. Uh, because you know it, it was uh, you, know, you you couldn't get into Star Wars uh, because of all the lines and everything. So yeah, for years I was just like not really happy with the movies that I saw instead. So uh, I I've yeah, Pete's Dragon, Helen Ready. I I'm sorry, no, <laughs> I, I I don't need to see that. No, my my theater flipping. I we, I needed your sister when I was about fourteen because we when Army of Darkness came out, we went to see it when we were underage and got tickets for Homeward Bound and then got kicked out of the theater and had to watch Homeward Bound too. So, oh wow, yeah, it's it's <laughs> those little things that you're you're upset about years later and yeah uh, <laughs> and, and you know it, it, it that theater I'll never forget. It was like. It had been a, it had been built in the sixties as one of these big grand halls where there's a gigantic screen. And then they decided in the mid seventies that they were going to split it into long ways. So you end up with just a small little screen and a hall that's like 10 times longer than it is wide. And so, yeah, wherever I sat in it, I, I do remember, this is when I knew I needed glasses. <laughs> <laughs> Because it is, it's like being in a tunnel. Um, but you know, I did see it, and you know, started buying the the comic books, uh, the novels. Um, you know, Empire Strikes Back is kind of the high uh, watermark of my you know kid fandom for it. Uh, and and you know, then of course I end up migrating into Star Trek and other you know comics fandoms and gaming fandoms and things. Um, and I don't really begin working with Star Wars professionally. Uh, until uh, the 2000s, uh, when I start doing, as you mentioned, the comics, and the comics leads to novels, and the novels, uh, you know, lead back into uh, all sorts of other things. So, uh, so yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff in there, and of course, you know, getting into Star Wars itself in 1977, uh, you know, I can, I can. There's a lot I can say about, you know, what movie culture and what science fiction culture was like at that time, uh, and uh, and and what Star Wars did to it. Um, but uh, I'll let you ask the questions. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Well, like I was saying, we, we usually do a plot summary, and it's, it's sure. midnight last night, and I was sitting there like, dude, nobody needs to write a yeah. plot summary for Star Wars. <laughs> so I'm going to uh, take a, a page from my uh, Twilight Zone podcast, and uh, John, if I could ask you to just give the prologue a bit of a, a read here. The revolution won't wait for apples to fall when our time is ripe. It is a period of civil war. Rebel spaceships striking from a hidden base have won their first victory against the evil Galactic Empire. During the battle, rebel spies managed to steal secret plans to the Emperor's, the Empire's ultimate weapon, the Death Star, a space station with enough power to destroy an entire planet. Pursued by the Empire's sinister agents, Princess Leia races home aboard her starship, custodian of the stolen plans that can save her people and restore freedom to the galaxy. Ah, 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 ah. 
Okay, let's see here. Well, this should be in three paragraphs instead of two because I'm all out of I'm all out of sorts over that. Uh, <laughs> well, well, that's that's kind of the the, the rule is. Uh, uh, it, it was it was actually uh, Brian De Palma who talked George Lucas into reducing this trailer or the, the the opening crawl from six paragraphs to three, and then every time we ever did an opening in the beginning of the comic books, it was always exactly three paragraphs. And so <laughs> and so I, you know, I'm looking at it, I'm like, oh my gosh, where's the third paragraph? And I realize, oh, it's all here in one. Yeah, like I was saying, that format we used in just about everything we did as a tie-in after that. Uh, that referred to uh, you know any kind of an opening prologue, and uh, you know without uh, fail, every paragraph has one capitalized phrase in it, and it's sort of the either it's the Death Star or the Galactic Empire uh, or whatever or the Force. Uh, it's uh, it, again, it's just kind of there to uh, you know be that Saturday morning serial sort of setup. Um, and, and again, that's, that's another thing about, uh, Star Wars when it comes out is it's episode four, but not until the re-release, uh, the original episode four is just plain Star Wars. Mm. Uh, and, and so anybody who walked into it after there afterward and said, saw episode four, didn't know what was going on, uh, for a good while. <laughs> I'm old school. I couldn't help but label my notes. Adventures of Luke Starkiller is taken from the Journal of the Will Saga 1, the Star Wars. Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> I've just realized that, ironically, for our plot synopsis, we've read out the plot of Rogue One. Yes. Well, yeah, we, we spoiled Rogue One, haven't we? <laughs> That's a shame. Uh, but yeah, it's, it, it is, it, again... You know, seeing that opening, um, you know, there's a there's a there's a website which is just devoted to opening titles uh, and uh, the, you know, the, the what they go through to actually make the titles and uh, the ones that stick with people. And, you know, the, the ones that that you know, are just really designed to just shock the entire audience into. Yeah, we're going to we're, we're, we're no longer, you know, out in the out in the lobby eating popcorn. We're in a different place. Mm. Something big is going to happen. And again, that's what you get in Star Wars, where you've got, you know, you've got the crawl, um, you've got the crawl going in a direction that people have never seen before, which is into the screen. It's luring you, the reader, uh, you know, into the, or the reader, but or the, the, the viewer into the actual action. Uh, and then the first thing we've got is, uh, is the Star Destroyer, uh, which shows up and you know, particularly if you were in a screen that was even wider than the one we had, uh, because ours wasn't that wide, uh, it's it fills the view. Mm. And um, again, this is just not the sort of thing uh, that that we were used to seeing back then. Well, well, oh, go ahead, Luke. I was just thinking because the last podcast me and Matt recorded was Apollo 13. Yeah. And I was thinking this film is not that long after all the space race moon landing stuff. No, no, it isn't. And, and uh, yeah, in that period, I guess all the films wanted to look like that, right? It's spacesuits, it's rocket ships, and this is the film that came uh, back and said sci-fi can be different. Well, you know, uh, there's a couple of things there. First of all, is uh, you know the 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 you know the big standard that everybody went by was 2001: A Space Odyssey, right? Um, yeah, and you know that's even before they've really got. Uh, you know, uh, you know, visuals of uh, what uh, Jupiter should look like, or, mm. or, or, or various things. Uh, so, you know, you've got a lot of stuff that is. It, I mean, it's it's all 
it, well, it's still all going to be practical effects for a very long time mm-hmm. uh, it, it, after this. So, I mean, you're, you're looking at model making, um, you know, you're looking at models that, you know, when you, when you see explosions, they're actually blowing them up. Uh, you know, that's not really the kind of stuff that they, they, which is one reason why they, I think the, uh, they, they had, they had an auction for one of the surviving X-Wings here this last week <laughs> and it went for so much money because there's, there's no, uh, not, not that many of them left uh, because they blew them up. Um, and, uh, and again, uh, you know, that's just a, a, a big thing that is different. Um, you know, you do see uh, in, in movies that had come before that, you'll see, uh, you know, spaceships, uh, some decent model work in them. Uh, uh, you know, there's a, a silent running with uh, the, you know, that's the Bruce Dern movie where they're trying to rescue or, 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 or he's trying to steal all the forests that have been mm. saved from earth. Uh, you know, nice, you know, models that they've got there. Uh, but yeah, again, even so nothing on this scale and nothing where it really integrates, um, you know, the sort of, uh, you know, combat uh, dogfight sequence kind of stuff uh, that you had in uh, in World War II. Um, you know, he just really kind of took it to a different level. Um, and, you know, one of the cool things that when I did go visit uh, Lucasfilm for the first time, uh, it was when I was writing the, uh, the uh, I was writing the graphic novel for uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Uh, you know, one of the things that they've got at Lucasfilm uh, is, uh, you know, a, a, this big room that's sort of temperature controlled and in it, you know, they've got the, the machine that did the compositing uh, for, for all of the, uh, the photo work uh, for all of those model scenes uh, for that and a bunch of different movies. And, um, cool. and yeah, I mean, so, so, I mean, it looked different from everything that had come before. And then there's just a major, major, major thematic difference uh, from what has come before. Uh, I am by no means the first person to observe this, but you know, some people say that the '80s started uh, in the 1980s started uh, in, in in on May 25th, 1977, and that was the end of the 1970s, more or less, uh, in terms of you know the, the 1960s had been this era of promise. The 1970s had been sort of this era of uh, disappointment and disillusionment. Uh, and it's really felt in all the science fiction movies that you see in that time. Uh, you know, what, what's the last big science fiction movie that you get before Star Wars? It's Logan's Run, uh, where, you know, everybody dies at 30. Uh, <laughs> and before that, you've got, we mentioned Silent Running. Uh, you know, we mentioned, uh, uh, you know, this, all, these, all these other films, uh, post-apocalyptic things. You know, Planet of the Apes comes from the 60s, but obviously that feeds through those later films. They're extremely depressing movies. Uh, I love them, but they're extremely depressing movies. Uh, and, you know, you, you get you know, Omega Man and uh, Soylent Green and uh, Rollerball and basically all these movies which are, you know, oh, the future is going to be horrible. Uh, the future is going to be horrible. It's going to be a nightmare. And, um, you know, here comes Star Wars and uh, and... You know, right away, it's it's bright and flashy. Uh, and, you know, we talk about the models. You know, another big thing was that uh, a, a, a major thing that got you pulled into this movie and the world was that it looked lived in. Mm. Um, everything wasn't brand spanking new. 
everything wasn't spotless off of the uh you know off of the uh the uh off of the showroom floor um you know if you watch uh, 2001 uh everything is spotless and yeah you could probably say there's a there's a a a story reason for that because you don't want things floating around in your spaceship uh when it's in zero g uh but even so um you know everything just looks absolutely brand new and uh, you know, where do we start in this movie? We start at the at the farthest place from the center of the, the galaxy. Uh, he, he even says it. If there's a bright center of the universe, you're on the planet where it's farthest from. Uh, and so, again, this brings you further and further into this world. Uh, and it leaves you wanting more at the end. And, uh, well, you kind of got it. <laughs> it was something this film, like specifically this film, is so good at is implying so much more outside of it. Oh, yeah. Like you go to the cantina, you see all these aliens. You think there must be so many worlds in this galaxy. And um, they don't explain anything. No. They don't explain. They don't explain anything. They don't waste their time doing uh, what is very much a, a pulp fiction, you know, pulp science fiction trope of, um, again, you watch the old classics even, and they'll have to explain, well, hmm. of course, this device uh, does this, 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 and this, and it sets you up for when it does it. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, uh, Luke just, you know, fiddles with uh, R2's restraining bolt. Nobody is, uh, tells us what a restraining bolt does. We just get it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, Han Solo's got to punch the coordinates into the Nava computer. We don't know what coordinates he's punching in. He doesn't know what coordinates he's punching in. <laughs> uh, we don't know why these things work. Uh, you know, we don't know. We don't know why on a lot of this stuff, uh, but we accept it because the characters accept it uh, and they're matter of fact about it. Mm. Uh, and, and, you know, it, when they are, when they are actually surprised by something, um, then that conveys to the audience, okay, this is out of the ordinary for this world. Uh, that's no moon. Mm. Um, you know, that conveys to us that, you know, Han, Luke, Obi-Wan, they've never seen anything like the Death Star. Uh, and this is something that is is so bad that there is no you know uh, you know technological solution for it that they can just go and you know buy at the hardware store. Right. You, you know, I watched the uh, the most recent Blu-ray edition, whatever that is, um, with my family about a month ago. So for this podcast, I was like, oh, I need to track down the uh, despecialized one, right? So I, I actually did watch that uh, last night, and. I, I see where Lucas is like, oh, I want to fix these effects and, you know, really yeah. make them look like I wanted them to. At the same time, like you're saying, it's like the old, the original effects actually add to the lived in feel. Because when you do see that World War II dogfight footage, it is scrappy looking. Mm. Yeah. Though, and and uh, I, I was really enjoying that uh, just last night. I mean, I, you know, yeah. I, I don't have any particular problem with the special edition. No, it, yeah, like, there's 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 you know, there's scenes there where you can sort of see, kind of see ghosts of of you know where the composites didn't exactly work perfectly mm. and and i could see cleaning that up um and yeah i i you know I, i'm particularly fond of the whole story behind jabba the hut in the in the first movie or in star wars and and what ended up happening to him uh because of course uh, you know jabba is in the script they shot it they shot dialogue they shot a scene with a stand-in uh, when Howard Chaikin was drawing the comic book, and I actually read the comic book before I got in to see the movie. Oh, uh, I, 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's how long it took. Well, well, the comic book launched uh, in March. So the third issue was out when the movie came out. Um, so, um, and in that, I think it's in the uh, the second issue, I think, uh, is is a scene is that scene with uh, with uh, Han Solo and what we've lovingly called uh, lovingly, lovingly referred to lately as uh, or the, in recent years as Monkey Jabba. Uh, it, it basically, he's a a Nimbanel. He's uh, Howard based it on a uh, a one of the characters from the Cantina that they had sent photos of. Uh, and he's, he's sort of a monkey with kind of mandrel, you know, uh, yeah. you know whiskers. Yeah, you got it. And, <laughs> and and he and he had a speaking role, and he turns up in the next three years of comics. Oh wow! Uh, and so um, all the way up to when uh, just in the issue before when Return uh, Empire Strikes Back was supposed to be adapted, uh, you know, Monkey Java puts the bounty back on Han Solo's head uh, in, in order to actually you know tie it all up pr- properly. Um, but what happened in the interim is uh, the folks at West End, and I think I think it was Pablo Hidalgo that came up with the idea, uh, is uh, he made that character a character. Whoever it was made that character a character uh, called Mosep Benid. He is uh, he is Jabba's accountant, and he goes <laughs> around posing as Jabba. Uh, when Java cannot when, when Java cannot do anything, so uh, or or doesn't doesn't want to get out there because Java doesn't want to get his hands dirty, and so that character is in the Kenobi novel, nice. and that and that character is also uh, in the Canto Bite book uh, that we did. Uh, I was able to canonize him in in uh, in the new you know Disney era uh, with the uh, with the uh, you know with the uh, you know that character appearing there uh, and yeah he he basically you know he survived whatever happened in Return of the Jedi and uh, you know a, a good accountant can always find work. Yeah, he just got the what got choked for a bit. He's got a few scars. He's doing good. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> So you were talking about um, the yeah. things the film like doesn't show and how it draws you in. Um, something I really appreciate in this film is the amount of work Alec Guinness does. Oh, yeah. But he sells you all this backstory of the Clone War and the Jedi Knights with just like a couple of lines and some facial expressions. And I can well, see you go, that's yeah. why people were clamoring for that prequel trilogy, because he made you really believe it. Well, you know, uh, you know that stuff is on the page to begin with, so it's oh, so yeah. you have something there. But then, what you know, he gives it some gravitas. Mm. Uh, you know, a, a young student named uh, Darth Vader betrayed and murdered your father, uh, and and you know the Clone Wars. There's no discussion of what the Clone Wars are. There's there, it, you know, it's just we don't know whether there's a really written backstory for it or not. Mm. Um, it's just there. It's a uh, uh, it's uh, it's window dressing that uh, yeah, could be filled in later, uh, or or maybe it wasn't. We didn't know. We were hungry for anything, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and you know that is really uh, you know we, you get into the next six years. Uh, you know that is a period where um, you know the merchandising uh, just goes crazy, uh, and again, that's the other smart thing with Star Wars is that you know George Lucas saw. You know what had been what had happened with uh, with uh, some other franchises, 
uh, and you know, asked for a piece of the action and said, you know, let me let me control the merchandising. Uh, not asked for it, but that, that was what he negotiated uh, that he would handle it. And so, so yeah, I mean, uh, and again, there's there's a whole podcast to be done just on that too. But um, I'm sure it's out there. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, and I and I and I probably you know, you know done them as well. But it, it really, you know, th- this notion of having um, you know a, a show or movie uh, or radio show even live on in between the episodes in comic books or in uh, a newspaper strip or in uh, in novels. Um, you know, it's nothing new at all. Uh, you know, they there were there were novels for the Lone Ranger that were written by the guy that created the Lone Ranger. Um, uh, but the uh, you know the the idea that there would be uh, you know, any kind of you know, quality control on this stuff uh, is is not really uh, you know, in the picture uh, until you get to um, yeah you know, really you know Charles Schultz with peanuts uh, you know he owned the merchandising you know had had the had the uh, thumbs up or thumbs down uh, on just about anything so you couldn't have Snoopy brand vodka uh, <laughs> it, would, it would be whatever whatever he he wanted and then uh, and then Gene Roddenberry had in Star Trek uh, you know basically. Uh, had to try to step in several times uh, to make sure that the stuff that was coming out for Star Trek uh, was reflective of the show uh, and, you know, added to it uh, and and did, uh, didn't just profit from it. Well, you know, Lucas does this in a serious way. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, having all those blanks uh, you know, I guess on Wikipedia, they have what they call stubs where it's branches of a tree that can be filled out later, mm. uh, when an article is written, uh, we got, we got a movie here with just lots and lots of these stubs that could, you know, you could actually build things off of, uh, and, uh, and boy, did we. Yeah. T- uh, two thoughts. One, I was sitting here thinking we're in Japan. I'm like, I wonder if you can get Snoopy vodka. You can definitely. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you could. There's definitely some with Hello Kitty on it. <laughs> so, yeah, it's weird sometimes. But, it, but like, it wouldn't be officially licensed. That, <laughs> that is true. Um, yeah, the other one I was just thinking one when I was a kid, I was you know quite enamored by a bit of ephem- ephemera, which was you know just a, star- a storybook with some nicely painted pages about Luke at right. the uh, at the Republic's um, or what the rebellions. Um, flight school basically and uh i'm sure if i read it now it'd be like so out of whack with canon but you know when i was three four years old that i and i couldn't watch star wars every day because vhs wasn't quite in our in the house yet you know that was the star wars i obsessed on most so (laughs) for a year or two yeah Um, i was thinking with the credits as well uh we don't we don't have them right but in 1977 would it be starring alec guinness blah 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 with peter oh, Cushing? Yeah. i mean that would have to be the the credits um <laughs> well the you know he uh, lucas got in trouble uh with the dga uh the director's guild for not putting his uh name at the front of the movie and mm. uh and i can't i can't remember what happened with it whether he was suspended or not but basically um, it, it was a case where he said, no, uh, you know, this is, this is what we're trying to do here is get people into this, uh, you know, this world and all that stuff can, can be at the end. And of course that goes against decades and decades and decades of, uh, producers and, you know, directors and screenwriters and their agents making sure that they were at the front of the movie, uh, or, or, and where they were in the front of the movie. But uh, you know, you, it could be 
it could be a good while before a movie starts. And, you know, I think, I think now particularly watching, you mentioned Star Trek, uh, watching some of, um, you know, the first six Star Trek movies, uh, it's still a little jarring today to see how long you have to wait before the action starts. Yeah. Uh, and, and you, you realize, yeah, that was the way of it for a long time. Yeah. I, um, I had been screening my family sci-fi films and they loved the Kelvin verse. And then when I put on, okay, let's do Wrath of Khan. And, um, you know, my daughter, my daughter kind of tuned out relatively quickly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, it's, Kelvin it's, into it. much different time, much, much different, uh, pace. <laughs> But that is uh, just, I will not dwell on track too much, but uh, that's where Strange New World, I'm like really looking forward to a Blu-ray because I'm like, oh, this 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 gets it and it's flashy for the modern viewer. So <laughs> that's really nice. Um, Star well, Wars, I feel we've gone too far the other way now where a lot of films just don't even bother giving you an opening title and a theme tune. And I miss yeah. having a little song. <laughs> yeah, I think Nightmare Alley had like nothing at all. Dude, yeah. You just watch the entire movie and you're like, wait, did, did it, this movie ever start? <laughs> um, I, we'll talk about our, our green actors because yeah, uh, Harrison Ford, I guess you know, he was still unknown doing this. He'd just been in what? A, 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 no, Apocalypse Now is after. He hadn't even had his little bit part in there yet. So, no, he, he, well, he'd been in American Graffiti. Yes, and, yes, yes. And, and, uh, and, and that, was, that was big. I, I can't remember whether. Uh, I know he's in Force Ten from Navarro, and I think that might have come afterward. Uh, I, but but basically, yeah, he he's uh, yeah he had been uh, you know a working actor, uh, you know, work, work, also worked as a carpenter and various other things. Spent a very brief time amount of time at uh, at Ripon Ripon College here in in Wisconsin, where I live now. Uh, enough that they claim him, uh, even though he was only here, I think, a year. Um, and uh, and so yeah, I, and you know. Mark Hamill uh, had come from television. Uh, he had been uh, uh, on a TV show with Jack Elam called the Texas Wheelers, uh, which is a, a well-loved Western show that only lasted one season. Um, he's actually, and again, I don't remember the order of these things. I think it was, I think this might've been just right, either right before or right after. Uh, he's, he is, um, he, he's in the Grant Goodeve role in uh, Eight is Enough. So uh, Mark Hamill plays the oldest son in Eight is Enough, uh, just in the pilot. Uh, and so that's, that's still out there. Uh, and of course, Carrie Fisher, you know, and she had been in Shampoo uh, and, and she was Hollywood royalty by this point because of who her parents were. Um, but, you know, otherwise, yeah, Alec Guinness, Peter Cushing, those are the big, you know, established names. And, uh, and you know, it's, uh, it, it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting that uh, that he went that way, but in a sense, it also allowed him to put most of his money on the screen. Hmm. But yeah, yeah. I feel, is this the start of that? Because I think that's quite common these days. Is if your film is like a spectacle movie, you don't maybe you do put an unknown in the the leading role. Well, but, a lot of it has to do a lot of it has to do with the studios and the financing. Of um, course, they they want somebody or something bankable. And yeah. so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure that it is, I'm sure it was helpful to be able to mention Alec Guinness. Mm. Uh, and I, I'm sure it was helpful to be able to man, uh, mention, uh, you know, some of these folks. Uh, but again, you know, this was, this movie was not a guarantee for anybody. Um, you know, it was, it was not one of those movies that had kind of, um, 
there have been movies where the buzz is negative, negative, negative leading up to them. Um, yeah, people don't remember that Titanic had the stink of death on it right before it came out. Uh, that it, it, you know, people were talking about going to be another water world. Uh, mm. And again, water world was another movie where, you know, it, or like heaven's gate in 1980, where, you know, the press never talked about the movie. They just talked about the making of the movie. They talked about how it was going to be a disaster and, and will it be a disaster? And is it, is it going to be a disaster? Uh, you didn't have that really to the same degree with star Wars, uh, but certainly, um, you know, the novel Splinter of the Mind's Eye uh, by uh, Alan Dean Foster, who also is the ghostwriter of the uh, the original Star Wars novel, adaptation novel, uh, that was written uh, as basically a possible TV movie sequel in mm. case they had to uh, bail, uh, in case uh, they had to do something where, you know, they could shoot it in the forest, uh, no sets would be necessary, uh, Han Solo is not even there, you know, um, it could be as simple as possible. Uh, and you know, that kind of comes across in the book that it is very much, uh, almost like a bottle episode, uh, to use the Star Trek, uh, phrase, <laughs> it's very much a, a, a self-contained story that is only on one planet. Uh, and, and you can see them doing it relatively cheaply. And, uh, as it turns out, no, they, they didn't need to go that way at all, which is, uh, which, you know, that's, uh, that's a uh, good fortune for everybody. Thank God we got the holiday special instead. <laughs> well, and again, I love, I love but that, the holiday special. <laughs> but that that again is a is is an, is a, a, an example of you know why it's important to, for the studio to have control of things uh, and for the filmmaker to have control of things in the sense uh, such that you know things are not going on or being created uh, you know without oversight that you know don't exactly reflect the brand the brand um you know this is yeah that that was a you know that was still very early in the process uh or very early in this franchise um and you know there are moments like that in the comics too because we got the uh, you know a seven foot tall rabbit in the uh, in the first uh you know, first batch of comics that were original comics for star wars uh and lucas was not thrilled with that and so that <laughs> that that went away although that character came back uh Actually, he came back in a comic book I wrote. I didn't write the story that he was in, but uh, but uh, I, I wrote the issue in which he returned. So, nice. well, you're talking about um, people not being convinced this film was going to succeed. A lot of those actors we listed off five minutes ago didn't seem very convinced by this film until it came out. Like, there's the yeah. famous story of Han Solo. Um, Han Solo, that's not his real name. Harrison Ford. Then, <laughs> <laughs> is it? What's the line? You can write this shit, George, but you sure can't say it. Well, and, and, you know, the, if you look at the films that they book after Star Wars, you know, it's, it's very, you know, it, it's kind of plain that this is not a movie that at least their agents thought would change their careers forever. Um, mm. Because you still have a couple of years left where, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's not, you know, Han Solo doesn't go from this directly to a Raiders of the Lost Ark starring vehicle. Right. You just called him Han Solo too. <laughs> that's that's, where that's, that's you in yeah. the shirt there. That's, the, that's, that's you in the vest. That's, that's, that's fine. That's who he is. He's Han Solo. Harrison Ford. Yeah, Han Solo. Harrison Ford. Well, mean, all for, the le- all, all the letters of uh, all the letters of uh, Han Solo are in Harrison Ford, I believe. So, is that correct? No L. I was just going to. No L. No L. 
<laughs> in Japan, you can get away with it. Han yeah. Solo. <laughs> well, uh, well, I, I can t- I can tell you that if you uh, anagram uh, uh, if you anagram uh, uh, Alec Guinness, you get genuine class. Nice. Okay, <laughs> that works for me. Um, yeah, that, it, that's it, not mine. I got that from Jimmy Stewart. He said it on the Tonight Show back then. <laughs> yeah, but someone else must have written that beforehand. Yeah. <laughs> I am. It, yeah, it did take quite a while for Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill to kind of become like legit stars because all through the eighties it was like, oh, they're just they were in Star Wars, and I, I well, I, uh, Carrie Fisher, I mostly was doing it more behind the camera, I guess, and Mark Hamill got into the voice work where they really seemed to gain traction. It's like, no, these people actually, you know, have and had like notable careers. I mean, Mark Hamill, you say the Joker right after you say, you know, Luke Skywalker now. So, and then yeah. Last Jedi, you get both at the same time. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> like it's it's the case of that curse where maybe this role was too big because he's always going to be Luke Skywalker when people see him now. Well, you know, it's one of those things. Uh, yeah, the, you know, I, and, and obviously uh, Carrie Fisher did an entire book about it and a and a stage show about it. Uh, you know, it's. It, it's something where people, you know, I think, and it's and it's true whether they're in Hollywood or in sports or or something else. Uh, it, it, yeah, it, it's possible to have one thing on your resume that is just so big that it's it's uh, you either learn to live with it uh, or play off of it somehow. Mm. And uh, and so yeah, and and writers and you know, people in comics deal with the same thing as well. So it's for yep. sure. <laughs> Um, oh, and we haven't even mentioned uh, Anthony Daniels yet. I guess you, you ha- yeah, it's like, well, because he's in a suit the whole time, but you know, obviously, yep. he's, well, he's integral to the entire series, really, because he keeps showing up. <laughs> well, I remember hearing from people in the UK, we often have these TV shows where it's, you know, I remember the 80s, I remember the 70s, I remember Star Wars. There's a bunch of talking heads filling you with nostalgia. But the line I remember hearing was that um, when the film was coming out and people were looking at the posters and getting excited, they didn't care about Luke Skywalker and Han Solo and all of this. It's I want to see the film with the golden robot and the space monkey. Yeah, uh, you you get uh, a lot of guest appearances by them. They uh, show up at the Academy Awards. They show up in all sorts of places. Uh, you know, they're 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 you know it, it, it's it's pretty clear that you know they and and not Darth Vader. Uh, are are sort of the you know the 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 stars that the kids wanted to see at the time mm. and uh, yeah I think the uh, the first the first three action figures I got as a kid were uh, were the droids and Darth Vader so uh, I was having to invent stories with just them for a long time <laughs> that's the fight we all want to see C three PO versus Darth Vader <laughs> well it required it required C three PO to fly the uh, X wing I had which was okay. not easy uh, and and again the the very early uh, molds, at least the one that I got for C-3PO was not good. So it, his leg was actually frozen in place. And my dad took it onto his tool bench and, and had to break it. And then he put a pin in, uh, in 3PO's leg. And to this day, uh, 3PO has a leg that can swing around like a rocket. Uh, <laughs> he can do these high kicks. Uh, but, kick uh, in action. Yeah, yeah, but uh, you know, it, but at least uh, you know, uh, you know that 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 was out and available, and uh, you know, by Christmas there was something for kids to have. Mm. My my toy dump for Star Wars came with Return, and I'm sitting here thinking, 
we mail ordered an Anakin Skywalker, like as an old Anakin, like at the end of <laughs> like Force Ghost at the end of Return Anakin from 1983. I'm like, yeah, the by that time, the toys had gotten so like wildly specific. And uh, yeah, you'd go into it wouldn't target at the time. Richway is Richway at the time. And they it would just be like, you know, shelves upon shelves of Lobot because everything else had been bought. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I did a, uh, I don't know if I can actually, yeah, I can't get to it on my shelf here, but uh, the first Star the first Star Wars publication I ever did was unlicensed. It was a, uh, a, 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 a collectibles magazine uh, in 1999. And, uh, you know, so we had this entire book full of all the Star Wars action figures and trading cards and everything else. And uh, yeah, the, uh, the editorial cartoon that we had at the front uh, was uh, saying that they needed new movies quickly uh, because uh, they were running out of things to do toys on, and the cartoonists had drawn uh, action figures for Sound Man with Boom, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, a fan magazine editor with uh, with uh, with editing pencil, uh, and and you know just all the you know extra number five, uh, Stormtrooper number seven, um, yeah, I mean I. You know, what I envied, I envied the kids that actually would buy multiple, multiple stormtroopers because you know you you'd only get the one usually because it didn't make sense to have more than one, and then you're trying to make up the stories mentally, and you realize there's just one stormtrooper. <laughs> so. uh, the trick was I bought a couple of stormtroopers, and my friend Aaron bought a couple of stormtroopers, and my friend Tom bought a couple of stormtroopers. There you go. And then when we played there together, we had a little squadron. <laughs> yeah, maybe there you this, go. Maybe this is why I eventually ended up gravitating to the Transformer toys more because you only need one Optimus. And like, well, Luke needs more than one, but yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, technically, well, well if, if everybody's unique, you don't have a problem. But I yeah. Mean, you, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're playing, if you're trying to play toy soldiers, uh, you know, you, you got to have the soldiers. And so I ended up having to make up stories. You know, my earliest Star Wars stories were not obviously for comics or, or books, but you know, were the ones I made up with the action figures. And you know, I had to basically decide that all the bounty hunters were bad guys, and mm -hmm. and you know, and and you know, there are factions here, and and you know, it, it, it's funny that I let that impact, um, you know, what I did later. Uh, I have a book back here. Uh, you mentioned Knights of the Old Republic. The uh, all the Knights of the Old Republic comics are in one giant omnibus now. It's seven and a half pounds, uh, uh, 1,350 pages. Um, but it's about a, this Jedi, Zane Carrick, this kid who's uh, you know, very uh, you know, inexperienced and not very good at things. I gave him a yellow lightsaber. And I gave him a yellow lightsaber because that was what I thought Luke had for the longest time. <laughs> because the action figure had a yellow lightsaber. Uh, and there's a, um, there's a, there's a, uh, there's another character in that series, uh, named Slisk, who is a Trandoshan, which is the, the species that Bosk belongs to. Okay. And, uh, and Bosk, of course, in the movies is this, you know, frightening looking, uh, lizard guy. And the action figure just looks so wide-eyed and mild-mannered. And so I created a character called Slisk, who is the tamest uh, Trandoshan ever. He actually is a great cook, uh, and that's in the series. And again, he's more or less based on that that uh, you know the play that I got out of that character or that action figure back in the time because I made I made that character a good guy because he just looked too 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 uh, <laughs> he just looked too mild mannered. Uh, I couldn't couldn't see him being violent. Little and I was also 
I was losing the guns everywhere. I'll be finding the guns forever. Yeah. That, that's a good lead in for me to ask just a total geek question. Who, who are the stormtroopers at this point? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, at the, at, at, the, at, the, at this point, uh, they're, uh, they're, they're people that have been drafted um, and some people who have joined up. Uh, it's very few clones, if any, at this point, um, uh, at, by the point of Star Wars. Uh, but, you know, Star Wars has a wink or at least one of those pegs on which you can hang the notion of clones on when she says, aren't you a little short to be a stormtrooper? Uh, that implies that it is possible to be too short to be a stormtrooper, um, yeah. and that either they're they're clones or there's regulations or something like that. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, that's so. So yeah, you, you you've got a lot of people that are uh, are you know draftees. I would imagine it's weird. Like uh, when when uh, the prequels came out, um, I, it did just kind of bug me. It's like ah, oh, it's just a bunch of it's a droid army, a bunch of clones. That's not interesting. And now I'm like, oh wait, wait, that's that's dystopian, fantastic. You know, <laughs> uh, I guess you, you get older, you're more into the, the, the horrible ideas in your sci fi. I don't know. I mean, horrible is in like, like dystopish. Is that a word? <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I mean, you, why do you have the droid armies? In part, it's because, you know, you, you've got Lucas wanting to target the prequels more towards a younger generation and not have a huge body count. And so, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's no moral quandaries about blowing these uh, these droids up. Although, it, you know, later on, it, as you get more sophisticated with reading Star Wars, you realize that the droids do have feelings and and everything else. So it, maybe you shouldn't be blowing them all up. Yeah, well, but, two uh, points. But yeah, that's, yes. That. I've always assumed the reason he went droid is because all the heroes had lightsabers in those films, and he didn't want them yeah. hacking up a bunch of human so they, characters. Well, and well, that's part of it. You got you got yeah. to keep your uh, your rating. But yeah, um, me and Matt have always been really fascinated by the sort of the droid question in Star Wars, because like even here in this film, there's the scene, right? You know, we don't serve their kind. Yeah. There's this whole undercurrent of like the droids oh, yeah. are treated like property, but they are alive. Um, and one of me and Matt's theories is every Star Wars character, you can tell if they're good or not by how they treat droids. That's not bad. Um, which they make a point of actually pointing out in Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah, I mean, and um, or or they or they either disdain or ignore them. Yeah. Um, Han ignores three PO until he can't. Uh, <laughs> uh, Lando ignores three PO. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it's uh, it, it, but but it's not outright hostility. Um, hmm. Trouble with your droid. <laughs> that's, that's, that's about it. I mean, it's uh, yeah. Let's face it, if three peers in the room, you might be game to ignore him, whereas some other droids, you might be a little more, uh, you know, as long as you're not like kicking C3P or something, you know, yeah. he'll, 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 he'll dissemble himself on his own before long anyway. So, <laughs> and, and also, you know, uh, R2 by being a hero, uh, mm. and R2 is the hero of Empire Strikes Back in the sense that he, he helps save the Millennium Falcon. Uh, that kind of rings true with this. I think it's a very Lucas notion in in all the films that the smallest among us uh, are are going to be decisive. Uh, right. Those and and that's really my defense of the Ewoks has always been uh, that you know the Ewoks show that the most uh, you know e even even the uh, you know the smallest among us 
Uh, judge me by my size, do you? Uh, and, and, and Yoda gives that to us as well. Um, you know, it's not the giant space station that uh, ultimately uh, wins. Uh, it's not the biggest army that wins. Uh, it's heart. It's, uh, it's, you know, who's, who's, uh, who, who, who is it that's uh, you know, defending their, their home territory? I, I had Ewoks instead of teddy bears as a kid, so I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly fine to be on their wagon. <laughs> I've just realized you've made a point there which I've never heard anyone make before. But yeah, everyone who complains about Ewoks loves Yoda. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, and, and you, know, uh, you know, if you understand some of the behind-the-scenes stuff, it all makes sense. Anyway, we wanted to do Wookiees. We couldn't afford it. Um, <laughs> and, and the Wookiee thing is even sort of set up uh because we know about the you know the uh we you know, the one thing we do know from the holiday special is we know that we know kashik and we know uh that the wookies are 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 uh, downtrodden and slave species so uh yeah this is uh it's something that where they could have uh you know i i think we get that moment in um you know, it's not a Sith. new idea but but we yeah we get that in revenge of the sith uh yeah. finally what that would have looked like but yeah, a Wookiee, an actual Wookiee Return of the Jedi would have been cool. But I, I got a lot of time for Ewoks. Let's let's put let's get the geek magnoscope out. Uh, magnoscope? Am I saying that right? Microscope out. <laughs> <laughs> magnoscope sounds cool too. Uh, what is you know what what is your biggest geek in, in the original Star Wars? What moment is is the one that really grabs you? Uh, for me, it's absolutely the trench run at the end. That whole action sequence is so good, and just the way it's everything's right to the last second. And you're cutting back and forth. You've got the Death Stars now in range. You've got Leia and the general like sharing a look of worry. You've got Luke's in there and then Vader's about to shoot him, but then Han Solo shoots him. And it's just, it's absolutely pitch perfect. I don't know how true it is. There's always the apocryphal story that like um, it was absolutely saved in the edit. And sort of the consensus seems to go back and forth and how true that is, whether no, George Lucas pretty much had it there and she just tidied it up or like, no, his wife basically saved the film. It was trash before that point, but it's a masterclass in editing and it's so exciting and any star wars video game i'm straight to like right i want to play the death star level i want to fly down that trench and fire them photon torpedoes but watching that despecialized one last night i did like i can tell you know the in the late 90s where they had one the effects are good in the late nights you know people did good work and the editing's about the same but there's some kind of there's a flow to it a little more that i was feeling watching the uh the other version so um, as, as Luke knows, when I'm in a rush, I'll, I'll even speed up my movie sometimes. And I totally forgot to speed up Star Wars, uh, which <laughs> I, w- I was going to do because I watched it last month. But yeah, I just, you know, sat down, watched the whole thing at proper speed because eh, he, he probably should. So I did. <laughs> um, John, what, what's, well, what's your source, your the well, source of your, your original Star Wars geek in this one? What gets well, you? I, well, I. I... Yeah, I'll I'll observe on the trench run so I don't reuse it, but I will observe on that. One of the fun things that's on the internet uh, is somebody uh, put a uh, took a tape recorder with them into a screening uh, in uh, '77, and you can actually 
Uh, and what they've got is they've got the the film and they've got they've got the last five minutes synced up with it. So you could hear the audience reaction. Uh, and that took me back because I remember hearing that the first time or, or, or that that yeah that sounded like what I heard. Uh, and of course, you also hear the uh, the squeak, squeak, squeak of the uh, of the uh, the uh, uh, the wheels, the, the motor of the uh, the tape deck at the time as well. But yeah, I remember that, and you know, it 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 brings to mind later uh, in uh, when I went to see Return of the Jedi, uh, first day, first uh, screening, uh, front row center. Not a good place to see a movie, but we were <laughs> stupid and young, uh, and. And when when Darth Vader is looking from left to right, left to right between uh, the Emperor and uh, and Luke, the entire audience behind us stood up and was cheering him on to make his decision. And I had never seen that, and we'll never see that again in a theater. Um, so that that was that was of all the Star Wars movies that 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 was that was the wildest geek moment. I'll say probably the, the you know the 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 moment that it, it first sucked me in. Again, I couldn't get in to see the movie, but what they would do is uh, our local TV station had a sneak previews kind of a, a thing that would run. It was a five minute thing where it would be trailers for movies mm. uh, that would run before the evening news on, on Friday night. And so they would usually pick you know, one or two trailers. They ran the same Star Wars clip every single week for six months <laughs> and what it was was um the uh, the escape from the death star so it's uh it's it's uh don't get cocky uh you know the uh the uh great kid uh you know that that whole sequence with the tie fighters and i'm seeing this with absolutely no context mm. i just see tie fighters and explosions and robots, you know, falling around, and you know, what am I used to seeing? It ain't this. So, uh, so yeah, that that's that's probably the first thing that really sold me on it. Well, it's yeah, yours, Matt. As a, as a kid, and yes, I guess the trend trend's definitive. But um, yeah, the the uh, game I forget the name of the game in the Millennium Falcon with oh, the, the Hollow uh, Chess. Thank you with the Harry House and things on it. Yeah, that just like tickled my fancy when I was a young kid. And um, when we were doing our Zoom lessons a few years ago, I know a few times I made that little circular um yep. couch my my background so I, I, I honestly i guess in general i just i want to go hang out in and in, in that table yeah <laughs> well if you uh if you pay the folks at uh disney a certain amount of money you can do that now <laughs> <laughs> no i'll just assume it's inside this thing i bought with luke on monday <laughs> it's there in there go. it's in there somewhere <laughs> so uh yeah, but that that was the thing where I was like, hey, I want to be on the ship and I want to, you know, at Tatooine, I mean, it, you know, it's too hot, right? So yeah, <laughs> I don't want to hang out there. I've got my bucket of sand from Tatooine in the UK. <laughs> An ex-girlfriend uh, went on a vacation to um, where it was filmed and just brought me back some sand from Tatooine. <laughs> I like to be in City of the Clouds, except for the whole vertigo thing. As long as I yeah. never had to look out the window, I'd be okay. <laughs> You need to despecialize for that too, then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that that was a, a touch I did enjoy when they when they actually show you what's outside. I think yeah, yeah, of the three special edition ones, I like Empire the most because all the decisions work really well. Yeah, and there weren't many. Yeah, they don't add any big CG lizards at any point. So yeah. <laughs> and with Return, I'll I'll never forgive them for the Nub Nub song. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
that that regularly gets stuck in my head. And I haven't even heard it for geez, 20 years now. So it's still stuck. It's going to be in my head now. So thanks for that, Matt. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Earworm. Um, I, I wonder if we can, you know, instead of talking about like, yeah, obviously star Wars holds up. That's a stupid um, conversation, but a fair amount of that is the cultural impact. Of course. Mm. I, I wonder if it's possible for us to place this movie in 19, 88 and then say so it came out in 88 it was relatively successful but maybe it didn't start like a whole cultural yeah well i mean it 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 it, it affects so many movies that follow yeah i, I know mean, it's kind of a hard experiment to do it's kind of like if, uh, if the well, film had to come out in 77 then by the time you get to 88 it would have been a different landscape entirely yeah i mean you know you you don't get disney doing the black hole you don't get uh, you don't get, uh, uh, you know, the Paramount, uh, you know, with Star Trek, the motion picture, uh, you know, putting uh, as much emphasis on, uh, you know, trying to make this a big blockbuster as you might have gotten otherwise. Uh, you know, Buck Rogers, Battlestar Galactica, all of those things that come along afterwards. Battle Beyond the Stars, uh, you know, you get... You get Star Wars level, uh, you get Star Wars things, uh, you know, on television, you can see the emphasis, uh, Mork and Mindy is basically there to, uh, because uh, Gary Marshall's kids love Star Wars and they wanted to see a space character. Uh, You know, you've you've got, um, you know, all of these, uh, all of these things going on. Uh, And, you know, and that's to say nothing of the technological stuff. Uh, that Star Wars created. I mean, you know, once industrial light and magic gets in there uh, and starts changing the looks of things, uh, I mean, that. remember what one of the problems with the the uh, the movies that came out after Star Wars, uh, one of the reasons they didn't do as well is they looked cheesier. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they were having to try and reinvent the wheel. And the one thing that didn't look cheesy, uh, and, and this is something I have a small connection to as well, um, uh, I, I wrote the 40th anniversary graphic novel for uh, Battlestar Galactica, and it doesn't look as cheesy in, in some regards because uh, you've got John Dykstra there, and you've got you've got you know all of Universal's you know money they put into making the models and everything, and even though we did see the same special effect shots over and over and over again, <laughs> or flop the other direction and then over and over and over again, um, you know even so. Uh, you know, it, it 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 you can kind of say, well, yeah, that, but that more or less is a direct descendant from Star Wars in the sense that, uh, you know, you know they they you know some of the things that they learned to use uh, or learned to do, you know, affected how they did them over here, and of course you ended up getting Star Wars and uh, and got Star Lucasfilm sued uh, Universal over Galactica, I believe, or maybe they sued Larson. It didn't go anywhere. Uh, apparently, you can have two different series with zap guns uh and it's okay <laughs> yeah as soon as that question came out of my mouth it's uh what, what's the snake that eats its own tail Ouroboros. yeah there's, there's a bit of that kind of a question wasn't it <laughs> chicken or the egg you know that you can't really take this out of its context at all which again you know i'm just like does it hold up is a question that doesn't seem worth asking but i guess it's just well it, i mean these films came out again in 97 as you said and uh and they did well they did well in the winter um, you know, when there wasn't a lot else on, but they did well. So, uh, and also everybody was thinking there were going to be Easter eggs for the prequels in there. 
Mm. And, you know, there's really, it's too soon for that. But, uh, uh, you know, other than, yeah, we get our first look at Coruscant at the end. Um, you know, there, there you go. <laughs> Before we get, or before we finish up today, uh, John, you want to? Uh, we won't get too deep in the Kenobi because you said you uh... basically uh, all during the last eight nine years. Anytime there's been any mention of uh, you know, Ellen McGregor wanting to do a Kenobi movie or or whatever, uh, you know, my uh, social media has exploded. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so you know, the last two years have been. What, what what do you want to see in the show? And then the last uh, you know, the last six weeks have been. What do you think? And, <laughs> and it's like you know. I and what I said is you know I enjoyed it. I uh, you know any anything with uh, you know anything with more uh, you know El McGregor uh, as uh, Obi Wan is good. Uh, that, that, that's what I want to see. And uh, and what I what I what I am saying uh, you know, is uh, happy to say uh, is that uh, the novel which just came out. Uh, and, and was re-released with this lovely new cover. Uh, uh, this is actually the Italian version, but uh, but the, uh, the the uh, the it's it's available in other languages. Um, the novel coexists with the new series very well, uh, and uh, in fact, uh, one of the major plot decisions that I made in that novel, which I started writing as a story in 2006, uh, and it didn't come out until 2013. Uh, but, uh, you know, one of the major decisions that I made in terms of, uh, you know, whether Obi-Wan was able to talk to Qui-Gon yet, um, that is consistent with what we see in the series, uh, and yeah. it aligns with it. And uh, it was gratifying to, uh, to find out, uh, you know, from, uh, from interviews uh, that both Deborah Chow and El McGregor read the book. Nice. And, yeah, I, uh, and that was... That's got to be Very a good cool. feeling, yeah. Yeah, yeah I was going to tell you because I, you know, I finished watching the show last week and then started reading your book, and now I completely got mixed up. What's and what? It's all like it's all merged <laughs> together. So, <laughs> so well, yeah, yeah. it. They, you know, they, they they said obviously it couldn't be the same story, and it and it couldn't be because it's ten years later. Um, mm. My story is an arrival story. I uh, I wrote a western. I wrote uh, uh, Obi Wan is the mysterious stranger who wanders into town. Uh, he has just dropped the baby off, um, you know, at the very beginning of the story. Um, and, you know, the only tweak to headcanon, which is necessary, is that, um, you know, he doesn't stay in the house that he's in, in the novel. Uh, he, he must go back somewhere else. Uh, it needs but renovating for a couple of weeks, and that's when the show takes place. So. Well, even, even, the <laughs> events of the, even, even the events of the novel, when you finish reading, the events of the novel could be enough to make him move. So, um, and it's 10 years. Uh, so anything could have happened. And in fact, we established at the beginning of the novel that that wasn't even the first place he went to. The very first place he went to was someplace really, really close uh, to watch over uh, the Lars estate uh, or Lars estate, the Lars, uh, the Lars compound, the Lars farm, uh, the Lars ranch. And uh, it, it's really, uh, you know, he, he decides he needs to move someplace farther away. Well, you know, uh, for the TV show, he moves back. <laughs> there we go. So, no, and I so definitely, I, like that. 
I, I think uh, Luke, Luke and I were discussing how Ewan McGregor's like aged too well because he's almost he's not that much younger than Alec Guinness when he did the movie, right? But so <laughs> I, I what I appreciate in your book was oh well he forgot to wear his hood, so the two sons of Tatooine, you know, really well. Yeah, that, that was that was, uh, that was my way of explaining it, and I, yeah. you know, I also try to ex- I try to explain why he gets away with being Kenobi here. I try to explain why where the Ben name came from and all that kind of stuff. So you know, I, my job isn't to explain. What I do is I imply. Yeah. Uh, I, I imply that these things might have happened and let people figure it out. Um, you know, I even, you know, I, you know, there's things I do have to figure out. I had to, and, and one of the fun things about the book is they let me figure it out. Why water is, is something that they have to farm for on this planet. Uh, mm. Because water, anybody who, you know, has got even a little bit of science uh, knows is pretty darn easy to create uh, if you've got their kind of technology. Mm. And so uh, I, I, I decided, well, it's got to be a special kind of water. So, <laughs> it's, so it's, uh, it's uh, you know, it's uh, water like wine. Uh, it's, it's wonderful. So, uh, but yeah, I, uh, that book though has just, you know, lived such a long life Um you know, it's uh, in you know, just multiple, multiple printings, many countries, several languages right now. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm I'm delighted that uh, people are still reading it. I'm actually I'm a little curious um, re- writing a book like that. It's I feel like one of the big challenges would be like, I can't just write Dune. <laughs> which <laughs> it, It's a good. Well, I, never, I never finished Dune, so that made it easy for me. But yeah. <laughs> Um, no, well, I, I knew what I was ripping off. I, I, I was I, I, at the very beginning, at the very beginning, I pitched it. Uh, it was originally pitched as a graphic novel. And I, I pitched it to my editor um, in, at Dark Horse Comics uh, as the Ben Kenobi Western. And basically, I want to do the movie Shane with Ben Kenobi. And you know, Shane is the gunslinger who has hung up his uh, holster. Uh, and he's got to go to work on a farm. And he wants to leave his world behind. Uh, but the bad guys won't let him. Mm. And, uh, you know, that's that this book is told through the viewpoint of uh, all the other people on the planet the hater interacts with, um, because, you know, it's no secret who he is to the reader. The reader knows. Mm. Uh, you know, it's more fun having you, know, you the uh, the reader, follow along with these other characters wondering when are they going to figure out? What are they going to figure out? And is it going to get them killed? Mm. Um, and so. You know, how is it going to change these people's lives? Uh, this is the thing with writing tie-ins is, you know, I'm not going to kill any character that they've given me, uh, you know, unless I've been told to kill them. And usually you don't want to do that, mm. uh, even then. <clears throat> Excuse me. But, uh, but basically, uh, you know, you can, you can give some character development to, depending on what the story is and how much time they've given you to have the story take place in. Um, you know, I, I decided that in this novel... Uh, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi's, uh, you know, journey, the change that he has to go through is he has to get over the initial shock of what's happened and start mm-hmm. his life. Uh, and, and he has to stop, re- stop responding to everything as a Jedi and go undercover. Uh, and, uh, and that's kind of what we get, but he has a bigger influence on the lives of the other people that he meets. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, I've, I've done, 
tie-in fiction for Star Wars, Star Trek, Halo, Mass Effect, uh, uh, Simpsons, uh, uh, you know, Conan, you know, just a lot of different comics, Battlestar Galactica, and in, in all this stuff, you know, our, our job is to try to, you know, expand on the story that you've gotten uh, in the movies um, and in the TV shows and the cartoons uh, and uh, be respectful of it and put all the toys back in the toy box when you're done. Yeah, if, I, if I'm going to take you a task on anything with the Kenobi book, it's that um, listeners of this podcast probably know I think about smell-o-vision a lot. And I, now I've been wondering for the past couple of days, just what do the sand people smell like? So, <laughs> Well, I, I don't know if there are any noses under there, so they may not care. Oh, they don't care, but uh, when you're if you're around them, right? <laughs> uh, no, well, they're, no they're, I think there's some mentions of... of uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think there's some mentions here and there, but I can't remember. It's been it's ten years now, so <laughs> no, no, you have some you have some reference to like no one's ever going to eat in that room again because there were sad people in there. <laughs> well, 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 it, well, and, and they had died there too. So yeah, you got it. True. So, it's yeah. uh, it's uh, but yeah, I yeah, I do try to in 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 these stories. You know, give some kind of arcs to the characters to the extent that I can, and again, depending on the franchise, um, you know, it's uh, it, it it it's you can do quite a bit. I mean, uh, you mentioned Star Trek. Uh, my most recent uh, work has been with the uh, the folks that do the uh, the streaming TV shows. So I I've done two uh, Discovery novels. Uh, one uh, called the Enterprise War, which was Captain Pike's uh, where Captain Pike and the Enterprise were during the Klingon War. Uh, and so, and so I got to have that character for a whole year in that book. Uh, I wrote a, a book called Die Standing, which is Emperor Giorgio from the Mirror Universe, uh, having to give up wanting to you know, recreate her empire in our universe. And uh, she has to learn to, to live with no longer being the emperor. Um, and, uh, and then the, the most recent hardcover, I did Rogue Elements for Picard. Uh, that's Captain Rios from the Picard series. Uh, this is in the aftermath of him getting thrown out of Starfleet and he, it's about him having to learn to try to go on. Uh, I've got a lot of these basically damaged men in recovery here, uh, <laughs> or damaged, damaged, well, damaged characters because, uh, because have Emperor Georgia, these people who have lost a lot, uh, and are having to bounce back from it. Um, the novel I did after Kenobi, uh, is, uh, is, um, uh, the new uh, a new dawn that's the uh, the rebels prequel novel again about uh, it's almost the inverse of the Kenobi novel because it's about uh, Kanan Jarrus uh, from the rebel show and how you know Obi-Wan knows what happened in order 66 Obi-Wan has a mission Kanan doesn't know and he has no mission so uh, he's trying to put his life back together uh, separately and so yeah all of the all these books kind of have a you know some similar themes running through them um, not really so on my newest novel, which is uh, uh, the, uh, uh, I guess to mention the stuff I got coming up, uh, the, the next uh, novel out for me is uh, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, uh, The High Country, uh, and that comes out in February, that's a hardcover novel, uh, longest novel I've written, uh, it, one of my favorites, I couldn't let go of writing it, uh, I enjoyed it so much, uh, and, uh, and again, this is uh, not so much, uh, not so much of a trauma, traumatic experience that anybody has to get over in this. Uh, this is more of a pure adventure, um, and um, you know, I, uh, you know, I'm appreciative that uh, I've gotten to work with the folks uh, at uh, at Star Trek and the, and the TV series, and then Star Wars. I, I go back to it every so often. I, I've done now short stories for um, 
the uh, the last two uh, what they call from a certain point of view books. These are big anthologies. Uh, 40th anniversary of Star Wars, 40th anniversary of The Empire Strikes Back, uh, and my story for the one for Star Wars, uh, which is still available in hardcover uh, out there uh, and and paperback, uh, is actually a, a short story sequel to the Kenobi novel. So um, uh, so that's that's fun. That that that. Uh, yeah, it, it continues to sort of live on in various different ways. Yeah, I've been envious, enviously eyeing your Strange New World poster behind you for that <laughs> new book, this entire podcast. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, that, that, that cover came out while I was at the Star, War, the Star Trek equivalent of Star Wars Celebration. Uh, that cover came out the night of the event where we announced the book. So if I had, had it six hours earlier, <laughs> we would have been golden. So I just need them to invent time travel and send it back to me. Ah, okay. Well, you got it now, so look, looking good there. Yeah, no, it's it's good, and and no, I, I'm 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 tickled with the book, and I think other people other people like it too. Nice. Um, is that? Oh, go ahead, Luke. I think I was about to do the same thing you were about to do. Is there a website people should go to, or should we? Yeah, just there go you go. Buy some books. <laughs> um. Okay. So my my website uh, is farawaypress.com, where I have behind the scenes notes on almost all of the novels and comics that I've written. So when, for example, you read a, a novel like Kenobi or, um, you know, one of the graphic novels, you'll be able to go to that. And it's like the director's commentary. It's chapter by chapter trivia. It's, uh, it's you know, links to other things. The Kenobi one in particular has links to maps of everything that happens in the novel uh, that, uh, that are official Lucasfilm, uh, you know, maps. Uh, and, uh, and also there's a, a link to a, 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 a piece on Entertainment Weekly where James Arnold Taylor, the guy that does the voice of Obi-Wan in the Clone Wars cartoons, uh, does a reading of one of the meditations from the book uh, in Obi-Wan's voice. Uh, so that's one of the kind of things that's there. Uh, also, there's uh, pre-order links for things like um, uh, the, uh, the Strange New Worlds book. Uh, then we've got uh, on Twitter, uh, JJM Faraway, and on Facebook and Instagram, John Jackson Miller. And just for anyone that, that the way that I ended up inviting you, it's just uh, sometimes look at the uh, Facebook suggestees friends because I'm like, hey, he's there. We have five mutual friends. I should send an invite. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, sometimes it's worth glancing at that, even though it does look kind of spammy when you're trying to look at your feed or whatever. Luke, are you oh, scrolling? Okay. Are you scrolling yet? You... Uh, I try still try not to as much as I can. OK, so <laughs> if, if you're not a scroller, then, you know, that, that makes sense anyway. But <laughs> um. <laughs> I guess tell them where we're at. Yep. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can find it on Twitter at MLSFSPod. We're also on Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Make sure you like and subscribe, rate and review, blah, blah, blah. And if you want to help support the podcast, keep it online. You can go to patreon.com slash podcastio podcastios. And there you'll find links to all the other podcasts that me and Matt create. Okay. May the force be with you then. Yeah. There's only one way we can end our Star Wars episode, and that's live long and prosper. Right. May the force live long and prosper. There yeah, we go. Now we're, now. Okay. <laughs> I should have put on my gold shirt for this too. Gold <laughs> shirt and vest, man. That's what I should have done. Oops. Next uh, time. Perfect. There's, there's a sequel. Click on uh, Jedi. <laughs> <laughs>
contact. Armageddon.